Well, good morning, Mount Horeb. My name is Trevor Miller, and I'm the family pastor here at the church. And we first and foremost just want you to know that we miss you. We miss worshiping with you within the four walls of the church. But right now, during this unprecedented time, as we are still at home worshiping in this kind of uh, venue, I'm really thankful we have a chance to still connect with one another. I know right now, as you're sitting in your pajamas, eating your breakfast with your family, I'm thankful that we can still connect um, just like this, as we open the scriptures with one another, as we worship together, and as we continue to connect with God with one another. We've been quarantined to our home, uh, very probably similar to you as well. As we've been at home, we've tried to say, hey, we've got some extra time on our hands right now. Let's use it wisely. So we've been cleaning up the house, getting rid of things, trying to streamline everything. And we came across the other day our wedding video from 11 years ago. Now, needless to say, we don't crack that out every other week to watch our wedding video from years and years ago. So we decided this would be a fun thing to take some time to sit down and watch everything that took place. We invited the boys to come and sit on the couch. They'd never seen it before. And so we sat together and watched what seemed like 400 hours of wedding video, everything from the very beginning to the reception and afterwards, uh, capturing all that took place on that day. And it was fun watching it. And I was really surprised in watching. There's some things that were shocking to me. The first one was my wife looked beautiful on that day. Not that I didn't expect that, but she's still beautiful today. She is timeless. I looked ridiculous. I had a terrible haircut that day and apparently nothing has changed still. But as I watched the video too, there were some things that really shocked me as well. And that was this. There was a lot of things that I really remembered from 11 years ago. I remember exactly what my parents and Jenna's parents looked like as we said I do to one another. They were overjoyed for us and so glad for us. I remember what the food looked like. It was so good. I remember what it smelled like still today. And we were watching all of our friends smile and laugh and dance. And it was an amazing, amazing time 11 years ago. But there's some things also that I was surprised about that I actually had forgotten. Uh, the fact that when we went to leave after the reception, my friend Patrick Boatwright was actually in the limo. We had to kick him out. He said he just wanted to go on vacation. We said, you got to go. We got places to go. And so we left finally. I remember watching on the video, there was like a wind that kept coming through during the ceremony, knocking over all the flowers. I forgot about that, but it kept happening over and over again. I remember now after seeing it and forgetting that my best friend gave an amazing toast and a blessing over Jen and I at our reception as well. And there's so many things from that time 11 years ago that I remember and there's so many things that actually I've forgotten. And I remember a lot of things that brings back these fond memories. And sometimes when I forget, it's because our memory has a way of, of fading. There's a tension that exists within our life, each and every one of us, when it comes to the way that we remember our past. Because sometimes we look back, we forget so many things. But other times we look back, we can remember so many things. There's a tension between what we remember and what we forget. We've been in this series right now called Tensions. We've been looking at this book of 1 Corinthians. And this city of Corinth was a place where an early church had begun. Paul had spent a year and a half there investing, and many people had become Christians, and a church had started. And since that point in time, Paul had left. But he had heard about different tensions and struggles and wrestlings that had come up within the church. And so Paul wrote a letter and sent it back to Corinth to help them navigate all that they were going through. And this is his witness to the church to help them to stay vital, to stay healthy in all the things they were going through. And Paul wanted to help. So beginning in the very first part of 1 Corinthians, Paul begins to address multiple different tensions that were happening within the church, which we've talked about in the past few weeks. The first was ones are the divisions that are happening within the church. Paul says, listen, we can't divide over these things. The people in Corinth were choosing leaders over choosing Jesus. They were mishandling their sexuality, and Paul reminds them, your body is not your own. You've been bought with a price, so honor your God with your bodies. They were also abusing their freedom that they've been given in Christ but taking advantage of some things they could do and hope, and then all, actually causing other people to stumble around them because of the freedoms they were indulging in. And then lastly, 
They were also learning how to properly live in a church with one another, with all the gifts and graces that God had given them to make a difference within the world. The first 14 chapters, Paul addresses these tensions. Here's how you should live. Here's how you exist within the church still. But then in chapter 15, Paul takes this big breath and kind of starts all over again and recaps for them, for his readers, what's most important. See, in chapter 15, verses 1 through 2, here's what Paul says. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you, because maybe you've forgotten. I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you were saved. If you hold firmly to the word that I preached to you, otherwise you will have believed in vain. Paul says, I want to remind you at this point in time in chapter 15 of what's the most important piece, the bedrock of your faith. This is something that's been forgotten within the church. You see, Paul is writing to these people, these Corinthians living in community with one another in the church and helping them to remind them what was behind this Jesus movement, what was behind the whole gathering of these people within the church. Some scholars believe the reason Paul is writing this is because there are many within the church and some outside the church who began to question a tenet of their faith, which was the resurrection of Jesus. Many were beginning to say this was a silly idea. And certainly the pagans outside of the church, they thought this was a silly idea because there's a lot of thoughts going around about what happened to a person after they died. But a resurrected body, a glorious body, someone coming back to life, that was not one of them. It just didn't seem possible. So maybe it was pressure from those outside the church, but many within the church also were beginning to question whether this was the truth of what Paul had taught them. But Paul seems to be very concerned in chapter 15 about the spiritual amnesia that was taking place within those who were within the church. And Paul wants to address it. What Paul calls this, as he writes this in these first two verses, is gospel. This is a word that we say all the time. We think all kinds of things when we hear the word gospel. But when Paul uses this word gospel, he's trying to remind them of a tenet of their faith, a bedrock piece of what they believe. And this gospel literally can be translated into the English from the Greek that Paul wrote in as good news. Paul's writing them and he says, I want to remind you of some good news. I want to remind you of the things that I've preached to you long ago. How many of us this morning could use some good news? probably all of us. And for the past week or more, we've had nothing but bad news. When someone comes to me and says, listen, I want to give you some good news and some bad news. I'm like, give me the good news first. I always want something that gives me hope. I always want something that gives me peace. I always want something that gives me purpose. And Paul says, I want to remind you, because some of you have forgotten this gospel, this good news. He says, this good news, this gospel has saved you. This gospel, this good news is something that you stood firmly on as you trusted in what I was preaching to you. This gospel, this good news, it validates all of your other beliefs. This is important and it's crucial. He says, it is good news. So what is this good news that Paul's talking about? What is he introducing here for those who've already listened to the first 14 chapters? And starting in verse 3, what Paul does, he takes an early church mantra, something that was said often within the church, and it dates all the way back to 20 years after Jesus' death. This is a very old uh, understanding. It's actually something that was an established belief within the church. He goes all the way back here to remind them about what this good news is. It's a summary of their faith. So Paul says this in verse 3, chapter 15, verse 3. He says, For what I received, I passed on to you of first importance, that Christ died for your sins according to the Scriptures, 
that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then all to all the apostles. And lastly, he appeared to me, Paul says, who is one who is abnormally born. So Paul takes this mantra something they said often, and he's trying to capture all the grandeur of the gospel, all the big picture of this good news and what this means for us, and capture it in a few short sentences. Have you ever tried to come back from a vacation of some kind and tell people about what you experienced on your vacation? Maybe you went to some beautiful kind of place, a place full of mountains and rivers and valleys and all these beautiful, beautiful places. Maybe you've tried to take a picture on your cell phone or on your camera and you come back and you're trying to explain to somebody what it was like and how beautiful it was. It's like going to the Grand Canyon and trying to take a picture of the Grand Canyon on your cell phone. You just can't get all of it in. There's, there's some that, that gets lost in translation as you try to tell people about what you've experienced because it's so big. It's so wonderful. It just doesn't do it justice. And so for even Paul, as he writes these few lines, he gives us a taste of this good news, a taste of this gospel. And this mantra, it can't fully express still the beauty that is this gospel, the beauty that is this good news, that is the salvation that was offered to those in Corinth but also offered to you and to me. Paul says, I want to remind you of this good news. And he lists certain things that everybody would have understood, that would have been said often within the church. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised. And then he appeared to many, and they became witnesses to this fact, meaning it was a bodily resurrection when he came back to life. This is a good reminder for us today because I'm afraid within the church today, even us, many of us, we have forgotten the tenets of our faith. We've forgotten what we truly believe, the bedrock of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, which is what Paul tells us about right here. They're basic tenets that many of us, we've forgotten. I'm afraid if someone were to come to us and say, what do you believe about Jesus? It'd be hard for some of us to really pull this right from our, our memory. We believe that Jesus, he died, he rose from the dead. And after that, he appeared to many as a witness to his life. And some of us, we've forgotten these facts because we've not given proper attention and intentionality to our faith. We just kind of live day in and day out. It's not a real piece of what we do each and every day. Some of us, we've forgotten these things because we've become so frustrated with the church over certain things. And many of us, we've thrown it to the wayside altogether. But Paul reminds us, as he reminds those in Corinth, we remind you of this gospel so that everything that we do, all that we trust in, this is a guiding truth for us. That Jesus died on a Roman cross, and it demonstrated for all of us this sacrificial love that God has for us. Not only that, but he was buried in a tomb, and for three days it looked as if this was a defeat on this kingdom that Jesus had brought into the world. But, and Paul emphasizes this piece, this key reminder, Jesus rose from the dead. And according to Paul, this was not some kind of spiritual raising or some kind of allegory about something else because he goes very clearly to mention he appeared to all of these people. This was a bodily resurrection that took place. People witnessed it. They saw it. When you take the entire letter into account that Paul writes here, all of 1 Corinthians, what Paul was trying to get the church to do was think as resurrected people, to begin to think as resurrection people. So from chapter 1 to chapter 15, this is the underlying idea behind everything. And so as he addresses the tension within the, the church of Corinth, 
It's actually the very reason Paul wrote the first 14 chapters. He wants them to think and then live as people who live between this bodily resurrection of Jesus, this overcoming of death, and then the resurrection that we will experience one day when we die. But this is a tension. The people of Corinth and us this morning, the people of Mount Horeb, we live between these two resurrections. And Paul wants us to live our life, everything that we experience, the good, the bad, the ugly. He wants us to live this life as a resurrection people. It is a mindset. But sometimes we have to be reminded. Just a few days ago, it seems like I was taking my boys to school and dropping them off. And whenever I would take my boys to school, there is something that I would say to them every single time. I would look at them in the eye. I know it's annoying to them. Probably one day they'll be in therapy because my my dad said this to me constantly every single day. And I'm okay with that. There was something I would say to them, and I still say to them today, and it's this. You are brave. You are honest. You are loyal. You love people. You love God. This is not just some cute saying that I want them to memorize. This is something that I want them to think. I want to shape the kind of people that they are so that when they encounter stuff at school, when I'm not there to help them, when they encounter things with friendships, when I'm not there to help them, when they see certain things or say certain things, I want this always to be the way they think. No, no, I am brave. I am honest. I am loyal. I love people. And I love God. It's a mantra that's important for them. This mantra that, D, that Paul is teaching the people in Corinth and reminding them of, that he reminds us of today also, is an incredibly important mantra for us to remember right here and right now. Because you see, what we believe impacts how we live. And how we live impacts who we become. The things that we believe impact how we live and how we live impact who we become. So I want to remind you this morning, today, church, Jesus overcame death. It was a key piece of the early church. And this kind of power changed everything for the church in Corinth. This resurrection changed the way that they saw divisions within the church. This resurrection changed the way they saw their bodies and the way they treated their bodies within the church. This resurrection changed the way they saw their freedoms they'd been given within Christ. This resurrection changed the way they saw the church that was full of power and the gifts that God had given them to change the world. And this kind of power, this resurrection power, is the same kind of power that changes everything for us as well. So whether it's a global virus, a struggling marriage, an addiction to a substance, a loss of a job, a terrible diagnosis, a loss of a loved one, crippling anxiety or overwhelming fear, this resurrection of Jesus changes all of this for us. It changes everything. This resurrection of Jesus means that death, evil, and sin do not have the last word and the final say in our life. None of these things have the last word and the final say within our life because Jesus has the last word and final say for us. His resurrection gives us the last word and the final say. But we're still caught in this tension of the now and not yet. The resurrected Jesus and the one day when we will be resurrected ourselves, we're caught in between these two things. So we must begin to think as resurrected people even now in preparation for what is to come. So Paul addresses this idea, this concept in chapter 13, actually two chapters before what we just read. The very end of chapter 13, he begins with this whole discussion about love because love is the way that we are to live. It's, it's where we're going. It's where we're headed. But in chapter 13, in the very end, in verse 9, he says this, But we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I used to think like a child. I reasoned like a child. But then I became a man. I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only reflection in the mirror. 
For now we see only a reflection, but soon we'll see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So in chapter 13, Paul is teaching the church once again, listen, you, you are not what you are going to become, but you are not what you once were. My oldest son right now is quickly becoming a teenager, which is crazy. He's eight years old right now. He's acting like he's 35. And I remember when my son was very, very young, there were certain things that he did because he was a kid. And now as he's gotten older, there's new things that he's starting to do, new realities that are becoming a part of his life because he's in process of becoming a man one day. And it's the strangest thing to watch as a dad, to watch him going from this little boy to now this teenager. One day he will become a man. And Paul in chapter 13 reminds the church that they too, like my son, are moving from one reality to another. You once were lost in your sin. You once were overtaken by all of these things, but now as resurrected people, as people who have placed our hope in the resurrection of Jesus, we're moving into a new reality of living, a new way of thinking that gives us hope and purpose and power. So as we encounter difficulty within our life, no matter what it is, we are reminded that Jesus died, that he was buried, that he was resurrected from the dead, and he appeared to many as a reminder and proof of his life. So how does this inform what we go through right here and right now? As someone who's a follower of Christ, it should inform everything. It should be the very way we think and the way we process. And I want to remind everyone this morning this, and I think Paul would say the same, you are in process. God's at work within you right now. There's something that he's doing that maybe you can't see it, but he's still at work. You are in process. So give yourself some grace. You are not what you once were, but you are not what you're going to become. You are becoming a healthier version of yourself as you allow God's work to happen within you. It may not be happening as quickly as you want it to be happening. It may not be happening exactly as you want it to happen. Maybe you forget about the resurrection more than you remember the resurrection, but give yourself grace. You are in process. And continue to allow God to change your mind to think like a resurrection person. But also, recognize that you are in process. And a process requires our participation. As we allow the Spirit to do work within us, we are never meant to be satisfied with how we are right here and right now. May we never become satisfied. We are meant to grow as we allow God to do work within us. And we, by God's grace, may become something new, something transformed, something different. So let me remind you this morning, church. Jesus died. He was buried. He rose from the dead. And he revealed himself to many as witnesses of this hope. And this morning, we are part of this long line of people who have been witnesses to this hope. So I encourage you today, whatever you're going through, Maybe it's difficult. Maybe it's really hard. Collectively, this situation as a globe with this virus is very difficult and very hard. Maybe personally, you have something happening in your life right now that is very difficult and very hard. But I want to encourage you, you are resurrection people. We've been given hope. We've been given peace in the resurrection of Christ. That His power is made available to us even here, right now, and today. Speaking of His power, let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Would you join me? Father God, we come before you right now. And I confess, God, that too often my mindset is not one of a Christian who believes in resurrection. My mindset oftentimes, God, is defeated, is overtaken and overwhelmed. 
And I pray that today, God, that by your very Holy Spirit living and dwelling inside of us, that you might give us a power, God, that we can't explain, but a power that we know to be true. I pray for every person here this morning, God. I know that um, across our church there are needs of all kinds, people who are wrestling with loss, who are wrestling with a loss of a loved one, a loss of a job even right now, who are wrestling with a sickness or a diagnosis, who right now are wrestling with guidance for what to do next. I pray, God, that you would come and by your Spirit would you do a work within them. We are so thankful, Jesus, that you are not dead in some tomb somewhere in the world, but instead you are alive and working in our life right here and right now. So, Father, we pray for our church. We ask a blessing over Mount Horeb, God, that you would continue to keep our people strong, that you would help us to understand and realize day in and day out that the church was never about the building, it was about the people all along. So strengthen them today. I pray for those who are watching even online with us this morning, God, who are our visitors, who are guests with us today. I pray they would feel your presence, God, as they've come and spent time here with us this morning. And I pray, Father, that the church global, the church worldwide would be a witness just as all of these that Paul lists within chapter 15 would be a witness to the resurrected Christ that would give hope to a world that's in desperate need of hope. And so, God, we love you this morning. We confess that we need you today, each and every day. We're thankful for resurrection power. May it be the way that we think so that it might impact the way that we live and that so we, in turn, God, may become the people that you want us to be. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you all this morning. Hopefully we'll see you very, very soon. If you need things from us, please let us know as a church, and we'll see you again next week. God bless.